Chapter Three of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: A Few Items Regarding Bashan's Character and Manner of Life, Part One. A man in the valley of the Isar had told me that dogs of this species might become obnoxious, for they were always anxious to be with the master. I was, therefore, warned against accepting the tenacious faithfulness which Bashan soon began to display towards me as all too personal in its origin. On the other hand, this made it easier for me to discourage it a little, in so far as this may, in self-defense, have been necessary. We have to deal here with a remote and long-derived patriarchal instinct of the dog which determines him at least so far as the more manly open-air loving breeds are concerned to regard and honour the man the head of the house and the family as the master the protector of the home the lord and to find the goal and meaning of his existence in a peculiar relationship of loyal vassal friendship and in the maintenance of a far greater spirit of independence towards the other members of the family it was this spirit that Bashan manifested towards me from the very beginning. His eyes followed me about with a manly trustfulness shining in them. He seemed to be asking for commands which he might fulfill, but which I chose not to give, since obedience was not one of his strong points. He clung to my heels with a visible conviction that his inseparability from me was something firmly rooted in the sacred nature of things it went without saying that in the family circle he would lie down only at my feet and never at any one else's it went equally without saying that in case i should separate from the others when out walking and pursue my own ways he would join me and follow my footsteps he also insisted upon my company when i was working and when he chanced to find the door that gave upon the garden closed he would come vaulting in through the window with startling suddenness whereby a good deal of gravel would come rattling in upon the floor and then with a sob and a sigh he would throw himself under my desk but there is a reverence which we pay to life and to living things which is too vigilant and keen not to be violated even by a dog's presence when we feel the need of being alone and it was then that bashan always disturbed me in the most tangible fashion he would step up to my chair wag his tail look at me with devouring glances and keep up an incessant trampling the slightest receptive or approving movement on my part would result in his climbing up on the armrests of the chair and gluing himself against my chest in order to force me to laugh by the air kisses which he kept lunging in my direction and then he would proceed to an investigation of the top of my desk assuming no doubt that something edible was to be found there since i was so often caught bending over it and then his broad and hairy paws would smear or blur the wet ink of my manuscript called sharply to account he would lie down once more and fall asleep but no sooner was he asleep than he would begin to dream during which he would execute the movements of running with all his four feet stretched out at the same time giving vent to a clear yet subdued ventriloquistic barking which sounded as if it came from another world that this had a disturbing and distracting effect upon me 
need surprise no one for first of all it was eerie and then it stirred and burdened my conscience this dream life was all too clearly an artificial substitute for the real chase the real hunt and was prepared for him by his nature because in his common life with me the happiness of unrestrained movement in the open did not devolve upon him in that measure which his blood and his instincts demanded this came home to me very strongly but as it was not to be altered it was necessary that my moral disquietude should be dispelled by an appeal to other and higher interests this led me to affirm that he brought a great deal of mud into the room during bad weather and moreover that he tore the carpets with his claws hence as a matter of principle he was forbidden to remain in the house or to bear me company as long as i chanced to be in the house even though occasional exceptions were made he understood this law at once and submitted to the unnatural prohibition since it was precisely this which expressed in itself the inscrutable will of the master and lord of the house for this remoteness from me which often continues especially in the winter for the greater part of the day is merely a matter of being away no actual separation or lack of connection he is no longer with me by my orders but then that is merely the carrying out of an order after all a kind of negative being with me as he would say as for any independent life which bashan might lead without me during these hours that is not to be thought of through the glass doors of my study i see him disporting in a clumsy uncle-like manner with the children on the small patch of grass in front of the house but constantly he comes running up to the door and as he cannot see me through the muslin curtain which stretches across the pane he sniffs at the crack between the door and the jam so as to assure himself of my presence and then sits down on the steps with his back turned towards the room mounting guard from my writing-table i can also see him moving at a thoughtful trot between the old aspens on the elevated highway yonder but such promenades are merely a tepid pastime devoid of pride joy and life and it would be unutterably unthinkable that bashan should take to devoting himself to the glorious pleasures of the chase upon his own account even though no one would hinder him from doing this and my presence as will be shown later would not be particularly favourable towards such an objective he begins to live only when i go forth though alas he cannot always be said to begin life even then for after i leave the house the question is whether i am going to turn towards the right that is down the avenue that leads into the open and to the solitude of our hunting grounds or towards the left in the direction of the tram station in order to ride to the city and into the great and spacious world it is only in the first instance that bashan finds that there is any sense in accompanying me at first he joined me after i had chosen the great and spacious world regarded with vast astonishment the car as it came thundering on and forcibly suppressing his shyness made a blind and loyal jump upon the platform directly amongst the passengers but the storm of public indignation swept him off again and so he resolved to go galloping alongside the roaring vehicle which bore so little resemblance to the farm wagon between the wheels of which he had once trotted 
Faithfully, he kept step as long as this was possible, and his wind would no doubt have held out too. But being a son of the upland farm, he was lost in the traffic of the metropolis. He got between people's legs, strange dogs made flank attacks upon him, a tumult of wild odors such as he had never before experienced, vexed and confused his senses. House corners, impregnated with the essences of old adventures, lured him irresistibly. He remained behind, and though he once more overtook the wagon on rails, this proved to be a wrong one, even though it exactly resembled the right one. Bashan ran wildly in the wrong direction, lost himself more and more in the disconcerting strangeness of the world. And it was more than two days before he came home, starved and limping, to that last house along the river to which his master had also been sensible enough to return in the meantime. This happened two or three times, then Bashan finally gave up accompanying me when I turned towards the left. He knows instantly what I intend to do as soon as I emerge from the doorway of the house, make a trip to the hunting grounds or a trip to the great world. He jumps up from the doormat upon which he has been awaiting my coming forth under the protecting arch of the entrance. He jumps up and at the same moment he sees what my intentions are. My clothing betrays these to him, the cane that I carry, also my attitude and expression, the cool and preoccupied look I give him, or the irritation and challenge in my eyes. He understands. Headlong he plunges down the steps and goes dancing before me in swift and sudden bounds and full of excitement towards the gate when my going forth seems to be certain. But when he beholds hope vanish, he subsides within himself, lays his ears close to his head, and his eyes take on that expression of shy misery which is found in contrite sinners, that look which misfortune begets in the eyes of men and also of animals. At times he is really unable to believe what he sees and knows, that it is all up and that there is no use hoping for a hunt. His desires have been too intense. He repudiates the signs and symbols, chooses not to see the city walking stick, the careful citified clothes I am wearing. He pushes through the gate with me, switches around outside in a half turn, and seeks to draw me towards the right by starting to gallop in this direction, and by turning his head towards me, forces himself to overlook the fateful no which I oppose to his efforts. He comes back when I actually do turn towards the left, accompanies me, snorting deeply, and ejaculating short, confused high notes, which seem to arise from the tremendous tension in his interior as I walk along the fence of the garden, and then he begins to jump back and forth over the pickets of the adjacent public park. These pickets are rather high and he groans a little in his flight through the air out of fear lest he hurt himself he makes these leaps impelled by a kind of desperate gaiety scornful of all hard facts and also to bribe me to work upon my sympathies by his cleverness for it is not yet quite impossible however improbable it may seem that i may nevertheless leave the city path at the end of the park once more turns toward the left and lead him on to liberty even if only by way of the slightly roundabout way to the postbox 
This happens, it is true, but it happens only rarely. Once this hope has dissolved into empty air, Bashan settles down upon his haunches and lets me go my way. There he sits now in yokel-like, ungraceful attitude in the very middle of the road, and stares after my retreating form down the whole long vista. If I turn my head, he pricks up his ears, but does not follow me. Nor would he follow me if I should call or whistle. He knows this would all be to no purpose. Even from the very end of the avenue, I can see him still sitting there, a small, dark, awkward shape in the middle of the high road. A pang goes through my heart. I mount the tram with an uneasy conscience. He has waited so long and so patiently, and who does not know what torture waiting can be? His whole life is nothing but waiting, for the next walk in the open, and this waiting begins as soon as he has rested after his last run. During the night, too, he waits, for his slumbers are distributed throughout the entire twenty-four hours of the sun's revolution, and many a siesta upon the smooth lawn, whilst the sun beats upon his coat, or behind the curtains of his hut, must help to shorten the bare and empty spaces of the day. His nocturnal rest is therefore dismembered and without unity. He is driven by blind impulses hither and thither in the darkness, through the yard and the garden. He runs from place to place and waits. He waits for the recurrent visit of the local watchman with the lantern, the heavy thud of whose footfall he accompanies, against his own better knowledge, with a terrible burst of heralding barks. He waits for the paling of the heavens, the crowing of the cock in the nearby nursery garden, the stir of the morning wind in the trees, and for the unlocking of the kitchen entrance, so that he may slip in and warm himself at the white-tiled range. But I believe that the torture of this nightly vigil is mild, compared to that which Bashan must endure in the broad of day, particularly when the weather is fair, be it winter or summer, when the sun lures into the open, and the desire for violent motion tugs in every muscle, and his master, without whom, of course, there can be no real enjoyment, persistently refuses to leave his seat behind the glass door. Bashan's mobile little body, through which life pulsates so swiftly and feverishly, has been, so to speak, exhausted with rest, and there can be no thought of sleep. Up he comes to the terrace in front of my door, drops himself in the gravel with a sob which comes from the very depth of his being, and lays his head upon his paws, turning up his eyes with a martyr's expression towards heaven. This, however, lasts only a few seconds. The new position irks him at once. He feels it to be untenable. There is still one thing he can do. He may descend the steps and pay attention to a small tree, trimmed in the shape of a rose tree, and flanking the beds of roses, an unfortunate tree which, owing to these visits of Bashan, dwindles away every year and must be replanted. There he stands on three legs, melancholy and contemplative, the slave of a habit, whether urged by nature or not. Then he reverts to his forelegs and is no better off than before. Dumbly, he gazes aloft into the branches of a group of ash trees. Two birds are flitting from bough to bough with lively twitterings. 
he watches feathered ones dashing away swift as arrows and turns aside seeming to shrug his shoulders at so much childish elan of life he stretches and strains as though he intended to tear himself asunder this undertaking for the sake of thoroughness he divides into two parts first of all he stretches his front legs lifting his hindquarters into the air and then exercises these by stretching his hind legs far behind him he yawns tremendously both times with wide red gaping jaws and upcurled tongue well now he has also achieved this the performance cannot be carried on any further and having once stretched yourself according to all the rules of the game it is inconceivable that you should immediately repeat the manoeuvre so bashan stands and gazes at the ground then he begins to turn himself slowly and searchingly about his own axis as though he wished to lie down and were not as yet certain as to the way in which this should be done he changes his mind, however, and goes with lazy step to the middle of the lawn, where, with a sudden, almost convulsive movement, he hurls himself upon his back in order to cool and scour this by a lively rolling hither and thither upon the mown surface of grass. This must induce a mighty feeling of bliss, for stiffly he draws up his paws as he rolls and snaps into the air in all directions in a tumult of joy and satisfaction. All the more passionately he drains this rapture to the very dregs in that he knows that it is purely a fleeting rapture, and that one cannot very well wallow in this fashion more than ten seconds, and that that magnificent weariness which comes to one after such honest and happy efforts will not follow, but merely disillusion and twofold disquietude, the price paid for this delirium, this drug-like dissipation. For a moment he lies with twisted eyeballs upon his side as though he were dead then he rises and shakes himself he shakes himself as only his kind is able to shake itself without having to fear a concussion of the brain he shakes himself to a crescendo of flappings and rattlings and his ears go slapping against his jawbone and his loose lips part from his white bare triangular teeth and then then he stands motionless in stark abstraction he has reached the ultimate limit and no longer has a single idea as to what he shall do with himself under such circumstances as these he has recourse to something extreme he climbs up to the terrace approaches the glass door scratches only once and very feebly but this soft and timidly lifted paw this soft solitary scratching upon which he had resolved after all other counsel had failed work mightily upon me and i arise to open the door for him in order to let him in although i know that this can lead to no good for he immediately begins to leap and cavort as a call to engage in manly enterprises he pushes the carpet into a hundred folds spreads confusion through the room and my peace and quiet are at an end but now judge whether it is easy for me to sail off in the tram after seeing bashan wait thus and leave him sitting as a melancholy little heap of misery deep within the converging lines of the avenue of poplars 
when the summer is on and the daylight is long and lingering this misfortune may not be so overwhelming for then there is always a good chance that at least my evening promenade will take me out into the open so that bashan even though the period of waiting be arduous may nevertheless still meet with his reward and provided one has a certain amount of luck be able to chase a rabbit but in winter it is all up for this day and bashan must bury all hope for a full twenty-four hours for then the night will have already fallen upon the hour of my second going forth the hunting-grounds are buried in impenetrable darkness and i must direct my steps towards regions artificially lighted upstream through streets and public parks and this does not suit bashan's nature and simplicity of soul it is true that at first he followed me even here but soon gave this up and remained at home it was not only that visible chances for gadding about were lacking the half-dark made him hesitant he shied in confused alarm at man and bush the sudden flapping of a policeman's cape caused him to jump aside with a howl and with the courage of horror to make a sudden dash at the policeman who was also scared half to death and strove to even up the fright he had received by a torrent of harsh and threatening words directed at me and bashan and there were many other uncomfortable encounters whenever he went forth with me through the night and the mist apropos of this policeman i will remark that there are three kinds of human beings to whom bashan has a whole-hearted aversion namely policemen monks and chimney-sweeps he cannot tolerate them and will sally forth against them with furious barks whenever they go past the house or wherever they may chance to cross his path moreover winter is that season in which the world lies most vigilantly and insolently in ambush against our liberties and our virtues and least willingly grants us a uniform and serene existence an existence of seclusion and of quiet preoccupation and so it happens that often the city draws me to itself a second time in one day in the evening when society demands its rights then late at midnight the last tram deposits me far out at its penultimate stop or i come jogging along on foot long after the last tram has returned to town i come wandering distrait tempered with wine smoking having passed the bourne of natural fatigue and wrapped in a sense of false security in relation to all things mundane and then it happens that the embodiment of my own domesticity as it were my very retirement comes to meet me and salutes and welcomes me not only without reproach or touchiness but with extreme joy and reintroduces me to my own fireside all in the shape of bashan himself it is pitch dark and the river goes by with a rushing sound as i turn into the poplar avenue a few steps more and i feel that i am becapered and beswitched by paws and tail and have no clear idea of what is happening to me bashan i ask of the darkness and then the capering and the switching are intensified to the utmost they pass into something dervish and berserker like 
though the silence continues the very moment i stand still i feel two homely and wet and muddy paws upon the lapels of my overcoat and there are such violent snappings and lappings close to my face that i bend backwards whilst i pat those lean shoulders wet with rain or snow yes the dear fellow has waited for me at the tram stop well aware of my comings and goings and doings he had gone forth when the hour seemed to have arrived and waited for me at the station waited perhaps a long and weary while in the snow or rain and his joy at my arrival is devoid of all resentment at my cruel faithlessness even though i had utterly neglected him to-day and reduced all his hopes and expectances to naught so i am loud in my praise of him as i pat his shoulders and we turn towards home i tell him that he has acted nobly and deliver myself of momentous promises with regard to the day which is already under way i assure him that is to say not so much him as myself that we shall go hunting together to-morrow without fail no matter what the weather amidst resolutions such as these my mood of universality evaporates seriousness and sobriety slink back into my soul and my fancy now full of the hunting-grounds and their loneliness is seized by apt perceptions of higher secret and wondrous obligations End of chapter three part one